Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Bauer from the University of Kansas. He is organ and church music professor there and he is going to share his fascinating insights into the arts ministry and uh, he will be sharing of course his greatest research ideas from his latest book called arts ministry nurturing the creative life of god's people and uh, you will find out all about the ways that arts ministry can manifest itself um, not only in liturgy but uh, outside liturgical settings this is a very fascinating uh, conversation and uh, Let's listen to what uh, Dr. Michael Bauer has to say. Hello, Michael. I'm so excited to, to have this conversation with you. I've been waiting for this the entire, uh, basically, semester to talk to you in Vilnius. Well, good morning, Vitas. It's great to be here. First of all, I apologize for my voice. I've been fighting off a cold the last couple of days, and, and I think I'm croaking a little bit. But um, at any rate, uh, I've looked forward to this a lot. I admire your work, uh, your, your daily uh, messages have been inspirational and educational, and I think you're doing great work for our profession, so I really appreciate being here. Thank you, Michael, you are very kind. And uh, I might remind uh, our listeners that we are meeting in Vilnius uh, uh, during uh, the free, free morning uh, that uh, Michael has, uh, because he has, uh, he is on the jury of international uh, Michaelis Konstantinas Chirlonis piano and organ competition on the organ committee, basically on the organ jury. And um, uh, uh, two days ago, uh, they had the, uh, the first tour, the first round, and uh, they have about 12 semi-finalists selected, right? And uh, this afternoon they will start this second round. So we'll have this conversation in the hotel lobby and uh, we'll talk today about a very fascinating subject about uh, uh, basically what interests Michael the most during the recent, recent years about art ministry because he, he, he wrote this book Arts Ministry Nurturing the Creative Life of God's People very important fascinating subject so Michael what is this book about? Well, Vitas, I tell you what, I think the easiest way for me to do this is I'm going to offer you a definition okay. of what arts ministry is, and then I'm going to flesh that definition out by, by giving you quite a few examples. And I think the examples will make sense out of my definition. But let me start with a formal definition now. In any field, and I think arts ministry is now a field, in any field uh, there is a sense of uh, definition which changes over time. And early in the life of fields, uh, those definitions tend to be long and wordy, and gradually they become shorter. We are early in the life of arts ministry, and so this is going to be a long and wordy definition, but uh, I hope it will be meaningful for people. Uh, the way I define arts ministry is as follows. Arts ministry is an attempt to help human beings incorporate beauty into their individual and corporate lives in an appropriate fashion. It fosters the creative and artistic dimension of the life of God's people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to manifest the full meaning of their creation in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Mm. So 
So arts ministry really takes three things and puts them together. It takes the fine arts, it takes human creativity itself, and it takes ministry and adds them together. Another way to think about this, from the standpoint of organists, and, and, uh, and your blog mainly uh, goes to organists, uh, is that most of the, uh, the folks who read you are involved in church music in one way or another. Sure. It's a way of, of, uh, of saying that church music now is expanding out and having to do with not just music, but having to do with the fine arts, having to do with human creativity itself. This is a movement that's going on in America. Uh, I have not seen it to any great extent in Europe yet, but, uh, but in America it's becoming quite a powerful movement, and there are many, many places that are doing this. There are many job descriptions that I see that are, that are changing. I teach at the University of Kansas, and, uh, and so I send a lot of people out to look for full-time jobs after they have completed their, their studies. And one of the things I'm seeing is new job description titles. And instead of simply saying director of music, uh, many of these titles are saying director of music and fine arts. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we teach two classes at the University of Kansas that have to do with that subject. One of them is a class in issues in religion and the arts. And the other one is a class in the Judeo-Christian tradition in the arts. And, uh, and try to help people be prepared as they go out from, from our school to, uh, to occupy these positions. So that's, that's in, in general terms mm -hmm. what arts ministry is. Now I think what will make it more concrete is if I talk you through some, some specific examples. And uh, in my book I've got, uh, I've got 18 different case studies mm -hmm. of different places that uh, are involved with arts ministry. And in no particular order, let me go through quite a few of these, sure. and I think that will really uh, make this concrete for people. Uh, my wife is the director of music at St. Cecilia Cathedral in uh, Omaha, and there is a project in Omaha called the Cathedral Arts Project, which has been going on for more than 30 years now. And the Cathedral Arts Project is an excellent example of this. They have created a gallery, a lovely uh, visual arts gallery, uh, with rotating monthly shows that uh, is in uh, what's called their cultural center, which is the old Cathedral High School. And, uh, <clears throat> and so uh, they, have, they have beautiful shows, many of which have specifically religious themes uh, in them, but they use artists uh, from the entire region. Secondly, uh, they operate something called the Flower Festival. So the last uh, weekend in January, which can be cold and forbidding in Omaha, uh, they have about 40 florists from all over the state of Nebraska who, uh, who provide really large and creative floral designs mm -hmm. and they put them in the cathedral. There's always some kind of a theme involved. It can be, it can be flowers and quilts. Uh, this next year I think it's flowers in the movies, going to the movies. Mm -hmm. uh, last year it was flowers and international scenes and, and different uh, places around the globe. And so uh, on, on one weekend uh, at the end of January, there's music that goes on throughout the, uh, the weekend in the cathedral. And they get maybe 20,000 people who come through and view the flowers and get a good sense of reju rejuvenation and hope that winter is going to someday come to an end. And, uh, and so that would be an excellent example of arts ministry. On a completely different uh, uh, tack, uh, there's a wonderful church in New York City uh, called Redeemer Presbyterian Church. 
And Redeemer Presbyterian Church has a, a really comprehensive arts ministry. They work with uh, artists who are in uh, theater and artists who are visual artists and music and really all the art forms. Uh, they work with New York, young New York City artists, uh, especially they have artist support groups where uh, all the people in theater can gather together who are Christians and understand something about the meaning of faith for their art, something about the meaning of art for their faith. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they have support groups, they offer a variety of exhibitions, they offer a variety of, uh, of uh, performances and shows in different art forms. Uh, another one would be uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Mission, Kansas, which is a, a part of Kansas City. Uh, this uh, church has, for many, many years, uh, sponsored a religious art show. Uh, it's, I think, not going uh, anymore right now, but I think, from what I've heard, they're thinking about starting it back up. I think they went for maybe 25 or 30 years. And, um, and they did this during Holy Week each year. And they issued a call for, for artworks uh, that matched the Holy Week theme uh, throughout the region. Initially, they did it with kids and with adults. And the adults uh, submitted many, the kids submitted lots too. In fact, the kids' entries got to be so big that they had to actually cancel the kids' show because they couldn't deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, uh, the adults had a, had a really large uh, show every year. They offered uh, prizes for the show, and it was a juried show. And then they also had something called a purchase piece. So every year, the church would pick one piece from the show, and the church would purchase that piece and display it someplace in the church. So the church building now is, is in the hallways, in the classrooms, uh, in the gathering spaces. It's like you're walking into an art gallery. Exactly. It's, it's spectacular. It really enlivens the spaces in the church and, uh, and they're all with religious themes mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and very creative works. Uh, another example, uh, arts ministry is not something that's just done in the church. Arts ministry is something that's done in a variety of different institutions. And, and one of these uh, kinds of institutions would be the museum. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, uh, for instance, there is something called the Museum of Contemporary Religious Art at St. Louis University. And they've, uh, they've taken actually a former church on the St. Louis University campus and the support spaces with that church, and they've created a religious arts gallery. Uh, it's the first significant religious arts gallery that deals uh, with multi-faith art. Mm -hmm. It comes from a variety of faith traditions, but it's extremely well done mm -hmm. and thoughtful, and uh, they've got very, very, uh, very, very uh, high-class, uh, well-done artworks and installations uh, in that museum. But the museum culture is one of the places where we encounter religious artworks. And we encounter them, you know, in a, in a way that, that gets after their aesthetic meaning, not their practical meaning. Mm -hmm. But but nonetheless, it is. You know, often oftentimes when you go into a museum and you stand before an artwork, there is a religious dimension to your experience before that artwork. So that that constitutes part of arts ministry. Um, another uh, another example of this uh, would be artist in residency programs. Mm -hmm. Many churches have taken on artists in residence, both visual artists, theater artists, uh, you know, all sorts of different kinds of artists. One example would be Tanya Butler, uh, who was an artist in residence at Christ Church of Hamilton in Wenham, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, and she was uh, brought on staff for a period of time one year. She, was, uh, she taught at the local university. And uh, 
first-rate artist, and she did uh, artwork that went along with all the scripture readings during the Lenten season, and, uh, and they're, they're wonderful pieces, and they turned out to be sermon starters for the people who were preaching the sermons that Sunday, and, and people, uh, people viewed them for some time thereafter. Uh, I've run into many examples of this. Uh, there's a wonderful church in Chicago, Catholic Church in Chicago, that has had jazz ensemble in residence and has, has had uh, a theater groups in residence, things like that, who are there for part-time or are sharing the spaces with the church. So artist residency is another model for this. Universities mm -hmm. also are a place where arts ministry is going on. Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska mm -hmm. has something called the Center for Liturgical Art. And so their visual arts department uh, combines faculty and students and, and uh, does projects for churches throughout North America uh, where they're building uh, you know, new crosses, new pulpits, new altar pieces, new, new liturgical furnishing, new basins for, for uh, baptism, etc. And they're beautiful and they're, they're, uh, they're lovely commissions. And the students are engaged in this process, process and engaged not just artistically but engaged in terms of the theological dimension of what mm -hmm. they're doing and, and why they're doing what they're doing, not just, uh, not just what they're doing. It's, you mentioned a few fascinating examples, Michael, and I'd like people to understand what's going on here exactly, because we are expanding the, the role of the church, yes. and we are also expanding the role of the culture, too. It's basically like crossover, basically blending um, religious settings with cultural activities and cultural settings with religious arts, right? right. Themes, at least. So it, it is very inspirational for people to have this art uh, created in in uh, civic places or, or even in liturgical places and then this art can serve uh, as as a symbol right as a symbol of transcend of transcendence of uh, of inspiring people to think deeper about these mysteries and also to explore other arts in, in addition, for example, organ improvisations on the themes of these um, paintings, for example, right. that did uh, this art uh, done. So it, it could be expanded, expanded, basically indefinitely, I feel, right? Absolutely. And, and of course, in a sense, this is not new. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to say that, that the, uh, the church is, is doing art out of the community and the community is, is coming into the church is, is essentially the role the church has always had. I mean, the church has been the center of the arts in the Middle Ages. Uh, you know, if you if you experienced art, you by and large experienced art in connection with the church, one way or the other. And uh, and they would take that art sometimes, for instance, with medieval liturgical drama, uh, that expanded into the mystery plays, into the miracle plays, things like that, that would happen outside first on the steps of the church, and then later in in different settings in the community. And so. The notion of going out from the church and the interplay between uh, Christianity within the church walls and Christianity outside of the church walls uh, with an artistic dimension is really not new. What's new is that church ministries and church staffs are now being set up intentionally to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's probably something that's relatively new. I think it dates back probably to the 1980s. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really picked up steam in this century, the mm -hmm. 21st century. This is, I think, going to be one of the hallmarks, one of the defining marks of, of uh, 
the arts and the church, at least in the states. Mm -hmm. We'll see how far outside of the states it goes yet. It may happen, but, but uh, at least in the states, that's been a little significant. If do the clergymen, for example, priests and or future priests in this in the seminaries are prepared for this change for this movement? Are they being educated about the value of arts in the church increasingly? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wish I I wish I didn't know the answer to that question. I think in some places the answer is yes. There are some seminaries that are doing a wonderful job with this. United Theological Seminaries yeah. in the Twin Cities, Wesley uh, Seminary. In in uh, Washington, D.C., you know, the variety of examples of this, the Bream Center at, at uh, in California, uh, at Fuller Seminary, there are a variety of centers where, where this is, this kind of education is happening. I would say that that uh, young clergy, I find in, in two camps, uh, there is, there is in, uh, I think, and I think this would be widely recognized, in the Roman Catholic tradition, at least in the States, Many young clergy come out with a, a relatively traditional, uh, I think you might say conservative, uh, approach to uh, their religious tradition and especially to liturgy. And, um, and so I, I don't think that they're being educated maybe in, into this quite the same way. I think a lot of the young Protestant clergy realize the demographics of what's happening with the church. Mm -hmm. They get the fact that, that mainline Protestantism, at least, is, is waning demographically. And so they're looking from uh, another perspective. They're saying, is this something that can connect with people? Connect with people. I was yeah. uh, waiting for this word, connect. Yeah. Is this something that can, can connect with people and can help people uh, establish connections with the church? And so they're very open to this. Uh, and so I think it depends a little bit on the religious tradition you are, but I mean, I'm not, uh, there are many Catholics who are very open to this too. Uh, and, and you have to make a distinction. When we're talking about doing something in church, we're not just talking about doing it within liturgy. Uh, liturgy is in fact the very last place mm -hmm. I would go. If I were gonna do arts ministry in church, I would start outside of liturgy and get a climate, get an environment going where people understand that art, the arts are part of their lives. And then once that's happened, once that climate is established, then you can move gingerly and carefully and in a well-prepared manner mm -hmm. into liturgy. But if you move arts into liturgy right away, yeah, it's very threatening. Yeah, it's like a like a concert, like a museum. Then very people have to, as you say, connect connect yeah. with the, with the why they're doing this yeah. and what's behind this idea. Yeah, so it has to be done carefully, it has to be done slowly, it has to be in, in connection with the, the priest or minister of the church, with, the, with whoever is in charge of the church, church council if that's the case, whatever the, the tradition is. Uh, but, but I think it, it, does, it is happening and it's happening uh, in many, many places. It's happening in many places in the evangelical tradition. Uh, in the non-denominational churches uh, are doing this a lot. And, and in many cases, I have to say, it's connected with popular culture uh, in the States. I don't think it's necessarily connected with popular culture. There are many, many places that, that are doing traditional organ music, traditional liturgy, that are also doing arts ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so it has great potential, I think, within the traditional bounds of church music and within the traditional bounds of traditional uh, liturgy. But, um, but it's really widespread. It's a movement that's going across denominational lines, across, across generational lines, across lines that have to do with, with, uh, with 
people's professions so people can talk to one another about it. Uh, and, and so it has a lot, of, a, a lot of potential to unite people. Mm -hmm. There is nothing, for instance, Methodist about a particular gesture. There is nothing Presbyterian about a particular line on a page or something like that. Those are things that cross over the kinds of lines that have traditionally separated us. So it has a tremendous ecumenical appeal and an ecumenical potential for the future of the church. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, Michael, that the liturgy uh, basically, or the ministry doesn't stop with the liturgy itself, right? And maybe right. it's the last place you start you start doing this. And it reminds me of 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 how we approach teaching in schools now, right? We're not teaching only during the classroom settings anymore. Uh, when the bell rings, the bell rings, and we stop or finish, right? Start. We teach continuously, right? In any setting, online and offline, and uh, this reminds me this connection with the with the liturgy announcement. That's a very good, very good point, yes. And and uh, I'll extend it even further. It's not just where we're teaching; it's how we're teaching. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least in my university, the phrase, the two phrases that are tossed around, one is engaged learning, and the other is active learning. And and so much as I love to lecture, and I do love to lecture. Uh, uh, there's a real uh, awareness now with, uh, with brain science and with the understanding of learning that, uh, that learning really can be multifaceted and that if you engage people at a visual level, you engage people True. with story and narrative, you engage people in other ways, that they retain information. Exactly. And, and, and if you just engage them in one way, that information goes in one year, sometimes it goes out the other. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that applies to the church. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, same thing. If if you only read scriptures and without any music, yeah. it's it's very dry, or without any um, visual arts, right, yeah. uh, uh, on the walls or on the stained glass, also very very non-inspiring. These words might be, right. but if you incorporate those elements and even, for example, liturgical dance, right, right? we haven't mentioned that, but it, it's possible to create a movement, uh, mo motion. Uh, and ministry, right? That's that's very powerful uh, yeah. in order to remember what's being said. Yeah, I have to what's say, of all the art forms, dance is the one that is closest to my heart. And uh, and so when I'm talking about dance or trying to introduce dance in the, in the space of the church, even if it's outside of liturgy, uh, dance is one of the ones that's, that's most threatening to people because there's a physical dimension to it. There's a very sensual dimension to it. But, but first of all, there's a difference between sensuality, which involves all the senses, and sexuality. And that, that, there's, there's, there's a lack of understanding of the difference between those two things, I think, some, to some extent. But, but when I'm, so when I'm introducing dance uh, in a church, I don't talk about dance. I never use the D word. I talk about movement, movement yeah. and motion. Because if you look in liturgy, there's already movement going on. There's already motion. There's motion of the people. There's motion of the celebrants. There, there are a lot of motions that we're already using. This is an extension of the motion that's already there. And, and it's also true that I think for many people, their experience of liturgical dance is an experience of, of people who really don't have much training in dance uh, who are doing this. And, and I, would, I would beg those of you who have had that experience to, to, uh, to try to look for leadership and, and maybe even dancers initially. When I first start out in liturgical dance, 
I actually don't use congregation members usually. When I first start out liturgical dance, I try to get professional dancers from the city uh, to come in and, and work, and they can craft something, they can choreograph something that's meaningful and that's really beautiful. And when you do that, people get excited about it. And at that point, you can start to integrate a training program into the church and start to bring in people from the congregation uh, to a ministry in, in appropriate ways. But I think that's a much better idea than just saying, okay, you know, four people who want to, who want to dance are going to come into the church and dance. That, that, that may not yeah, help yeah, your yeah. cause. Yeah. Of course. So you mentioned this sensual, sensual aspect of dance, which is a challenge yeah. for people and clergy to right. understand and connect with, with this di different uh, way of thinking about the liturgy um, or ministry. Um, what are other challenges you might you encounter in this in this uh, arts ministry? Well. Uh I'm gonna, can I back up for just a second on dance? I want to talk about dance for just a second mm -hmm. more, and then I'm going to answer your question, Venus. One of the things to keep in mind about dance uh, is, that, is that dance has a long history in the church. And, and, and in many respects, the golden era, uh, with the exception of the Shakers, mm -hmm. Shakers in America were really the, 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 the peak of, of the possibility, even, of liturgical dance, because the entire congregation danced mm -hmm. in that case. But, but with that exception, the, the place that is, is really most uh, uh, apropos to talk about liturgical dance is the Middle Ages. There was a lot of dance in the Middle Ages, uh, dance within and without liturgy, and, uh, and they were very appreciative uh, of it, and it dates all the way back to the patristic era. There were, there were uh, church fathers, uh, Ambrose is one example, yeah. of a father who was very uh, positive about uh, dance and movement as part of uh, liturgy and, and uh, life of the church. Now, to move to your specific question, um, you know, I think the biggest challenge uh, is, is that people have a set, my, they have a mindset about what their experience of church is. I think that's true for people in the pews, I think it's true for the leadership of the church. And so they come at things with a certain mindset. And what you're talking about is change, it's the C word. Threatening, right? Threatening. Change is very threatening to anybody, and and people have different capacities for change. At, you know, some people have gone through very difficult life experiences. They need stability. They don't need change when they come to church, and so you have to be sensitive to that. You have to be sensitive to the people, and there's got to be two things at once. This is true of all ministry, but it's certainly true with with arts ministry that you have to be prophetic, which is to say, the job of the church is not to just simply leave people where they're at. The job of the church is to help people grow. It's called discipleship in religious terms. Mm -hmm. And discipleship is growth. Growth is change. Mm -hmm. You cannot grow without, without changing. changing. It's not possible. And so the job of the church is to help people change. And that's really hard for people to hear, and hard even for pastors to hear. My job is to help people change. They just look incredulously, but it is. If you look at Matthew 28, it says baptize and teach. What's the point of teaching? Is to create not converts, but disciples, people who are going to grow and change. Mm -hmm. The problem is that, that prophetic alone won't do it. You've got to be prophetic and you've got to be pastoral. Mm -hmm. So you've got to say, okay, I'm not going to go all the way with my idea. I'm going to go part way. I'll see what people are ready for. I'll come back again. It's kind of like the tripudium. It's church life is, a, the tripudium is a great metaphor for church life. The tripudium is an historic liturgical dance 
was a processional dance. And you would go two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward and one step back. And I think that's a great metaphor for the life of the church and for the life of music and arts ministry in the church. Sometimes I think they get the steps wrong and we go one step forward and two steps back. But, you know, if you only do that every once in a while and then you just keep going again, you know, it works. Yeah. You know, Michael, your work is so inspirational. I'm so happy that you share these generous ideas with people around the world. And I hope, my, my real hope is that some people really will pick up this idea about expanding the role of art in the church or even beyond the mystery ministry and even try to initiate this work from the letter C, right? This change. Yes. And uh, sometimes it's uh, it sounds threatening, but sometimes if you connect and you you feel that people can respond to your ideas and you work with the people and with the clergy, little by little, you know, with God's help, everything is possible, right? Absolutely, it is. Uh, if you'd like to read more about this, I sure. I'd encourage you to uh, to look at the book Arts Ministry: Nurturing the Creative Life of God's People. It's published by Erdman's available on Amazon. Excellent. So Michael, please tell us, our listeners, where they can connect with you online. Do you have a website or a, or a profile anywhere? Well, if they go to the University of Kansas, the easiest thing mm -hmm. is to go to the University of Kansas School of Music and uh, the Division of Organ and Church Music, which is where I teach. My contact information is all there and <coughs> excuse me, they can, they can find out a little bit about our program and what I'm teaching, but, uh, but also it's a way to connect with me. Excellent. I'm, I'll make sure to, to I'll, I'll put the link to the book and to your profile at the University of Kansas. Thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much and your, for your graciousness. Yes, thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus, thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.